Hey, how are you doing? Hey, good to I'm see you. I'm doing amazing. How are you? Doing quite well. Quite well. It's great to be here. Thanks uh, for inviting me. It's a real pleasure to be able to chat with you today. Yeah, so I'm just fixing my volume. I can't hear anything at all. Um, no worries. There we go. There we go. I've got you. Um, yeah, no, I was just in the middle of the most wonderful little intro for you, and then it logged me off. But I'm so glad that you've popped back on. <laughs> no, I'm thrilled to be here. So before we crack on, for those of you that missed my little intro in the last live video that I went on, TerraCycle is one of the most incredible global organizations. And I'm so grateful to have you on, Tom, because I'm a huge fan, so I'm just happy to be chatting with you. But it's a conversation that we need to be having. It's a conversation that I want to share with as many humans as possible to get the word out so that we can talk about, number one, the insane achievements that you guys have accomplished in decades of operating. Um, and I want people to understand that there's so much depth to the concept of recycling and reusing and repurposing. And I just want you to give us a full education piece on what you've done so far, how you started, and what we can do as everyday people to contribute to the incredible solutions that you've created. Well, first and foremost, I mean, thank you for inviting me to chat and for everyone who's joining us in the conversation today. It's really amazing uh, to be able to, to, uh, to connect with everyone. Um, maybe as a starting point, you know, uh, what really fascinated me and what got me into starting this company now, I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's been 20 years uh, of uh, working on it, um, has been how do we use, you know, the, the idea of business, right, which is usually in service of maximizing profit to shareholders, which is sort of a very uninspired uh, thought to try to help society and the planet. Now we're really, you know, focused on planet and then, and then society. And to me, the fascination of waste came up in the sense that it is this immense topic. I mean, everything we possess, every object in my screen and your screen will be one day property of a garbage company. We're yeah. not a single exception. I mean, that's wild, yeah. right? And for how yeah. big of a thought that is, it is unbelievable how uninspired the general solutions are. When you basically put it in the pile or burn it, and then a very small amount is recycled, repurposed, reused, or, or, or somehow in that way. And so the idea of what we try to do at TerraCycle is how do we you know, start moving from linear, like take, make, waste systems, into progressively more circular ones. So that begins by asking, is that object recyclable? And if it isn't, figuring out how we can collect and recycle. And the big, great backdrop on that is many times we think that recycling has to do with, can something be recycled? You know, and that recyclers are out there recycling what they can recycle. When in reality, it has to do with, you know, can a garbage company make money? And, uh, uh, and so what we say is, you know, if, if we can bridge the economic gap, we can just about set up integrate recycled content. And then from there, how do we shift, you know, away from recycling, uh, uh, which is the best thing to do perhaps with disposable goods to really reuse space systems uh, where the waste, you know, the item, item never becomes waste. It's just, you know, collected back, cleaned, repaired, and out it goes again. And so that's the type of sort of thinking and work we've been doing, uh, you know, for the past uh, few decades. It's, um, it's, a, it's a topic I'm so passionate about because um, I don't know if, you, I mean, Australian recycling <laughs> is probably one of the worst in the world, I think. I think this country is so far behind um, and it's such so much so of the point that you've made about it being business. I think, unfortunately, most of the recycling companies or recycling facilities in this country are private owned. So it is about profit rather than 
purpose. And this is where what I love about what you're doing is you give the accountability and the responsibility back to the individual business owners. So we can then, you know, support the solution hands on rather than having to rely on the council or the government or systems that are already in place that are most likely a little bit corrupt. <laughs> so, I mean, can you talk us through, um, I mean, talk us, let's go to the beginning. Like, how did it start? Where, where did it start? How did you grow into this global yeah, insane totally. thing? Um, so I think there's two, you know, I, I'm happy to share the story of how this all came to be. And then I want to sort of double click a little bit on what you were talking about around Australian recycling. So, um, you know, to answer your question, I mean, this all started, I, I'm originally from, from Budapest. Uh, and that's only relevant because when I was born in the early 80s, it was still communist then. And uh, Chernobyl happened in uh, the early 80s and 86. And the borders, you know, sort of loosened up for a few days. And my parents, I was four at the time, escaped effectively as political refugees. We landed in Germany, then Belgium, then Holland, finally Canada. Um, and uh, then came down to college here in the US, which is where I'm speaking to you from, uh, from today. And uh, why I mentioned that story is it took me from communism effectively to capitalism and not just capitalism, but one of the heartlands of capitalism being the United States. And I love the idea of entrepreneurship because you can, you know, have an idea, create it, work at it. And there's a good chance that you can really change the world. Um, but I had this big turning point where the first class at university I took was like an introduction to economics. And the professor gets up on stage and says, you know, what's the purpose of uh, business, which is like a totally appropriate opening question. And the answer she was looking for was maximize profit to shareholders, which like took a lot of wind out of my sails. I was like, yeah, I get it. But like, that's so uninspired. And so I started thinking about, you know, how do we maybe redefine profit as more profit is a indication of health um, of a company, right? If you're profitable, you're going to flourish and grow. And if you're not profitable, well, the opposite will happen. And, but then to redefine the purpose is how does it, you know, benefit uh, environment or the planet? I, you know, sort of jumbled on this like fascination with garbage because garbage is this huge issue, massive and growing, yet it is filled with all sorts of strange anomalies, right? We live in a materialistic world, yet everything we possess will be a property of a garbage company. We, um, garbage is the only material that has negative raw material value. You know, it has infinite, I mean, not infinite, but massive supply, but negative value. In one way, in the legal context, in some countries, one defines garbage is that you're willing to pay to get rid of it. That's one legal definition. Yep. If you're not willing to pay to get rid of a material, it's not really waste. And so we began actually by making products out of garbage. I actually have our first product that we ever did here. This is liquid worm poop. You can sort of see the, uh, the worm right there. So we took organic waste, fed it to red worms, took the worm poop, made it into a fertilizer, even packaged it. You can see that's an old Coca-Cola bottle, like in old soda bottles. And that's how we ended up starting uh, TerraCycle. You can see here, it says, you know, TerraCycle plant food. That's how it began as a fertilizer. And TerraCycle, this was actually, this logo is a, supposed to be a worm originally. <laughs> makes sense, right? it makes sense right? now. And then Terra Earth Cycle, that's how this whole thing, it was a worm poop thing. And um, we realized that by being a product company, we're gonna, tr even if we make the product from garbage, we're gonna try to make the very best product, which means we're gonna try to choose the very best garbage. And we found ourselves, choosing certain organic waste, you know, but not other organic waste, you know, and, uh, and so on and so forth. And we realized that this is good and it's great, but it's not, not going to uh, be able to have us start collecting and recycling diapers or cigarette butts and hundreds of other things, which we all do uh, today. And so four or five years into the business, we pivoted into more or less what we are now by saying, let's not start with what we make from the waste, but let's start with the waste. 
and figure yeah. out how to collect it, how to process it, and how to make sure someone's willing to fund it. Because the big white elephant in the room, and this is actually a good dovetail to your, to your point on Australian recycling, is it's not about doing the right thing, the general business of recycling. They're, you know, it's private enterprise, and it's about making money. And we have to understand it that way because then it will make a lot of sense on what's happening, right? So a good example of this is what makes something recyclable simply can the local garbage company, whether in Sydney or wherever, make a profit on the material, right? They have the cost of collecting that material. They have the cost of processing it and they compare it to what they can sell it for. And so that's why aluminum cans are very recyclable because the aluminum is very valuable. You know, a, a PET bottle, that's like a plastic bottle, very recyclable for that same reason. But something like a crisp packet or a piece of chewing gum or a toothbrush or a mascara or any of these things are not only because it would cost more to collect and recycle than the results are worth. And that is the, uh, you know, the key uh, 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 thing that has to be bridged. And once the economics are bridged, then, you know, these solutions can be brought about. And I think in Australia, you know, Australia used to rely a lot on exporting waste. Um, that's yeah. why there's not a lot of domestic infrastructure built up. Um, there's some pretty exciting legislation on Australia now banning the export of waste. You know, many countries have banned the import. Australia has been one of the first to ban the export. And the, the thought process there is, uh, 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 is to... Um, try to build up local infrastructure so that there is the motivation to create domestic uh, capability on sorting the waste and uh, processing. Yeah, it's a complicated topic. I think um, we've got a far way to go in this country for sure. And we I do. think, we do. It, yeah, it's, there's a lot for us to learn from our global friends. There is a lot for us to do and make and produce to support the entire process. But having the ability to have you know, your waste boxes in my warehouse and in other businesses' warehouses. I mean, that's just, it's a baby steps. It's like, but I think you're so spot on. It, it's like, we have to wake up and be realistic that it's still a job, right? It's still work. It's like people yeah. need to be physically employed to collect goods, to, um, you know, pull things apart and recycle them effectively. And there's not enough of that available at least in this country and then you've got the other side of it of the lack of education where people don't even know how to recycle people don't know yes. what what is recyclable you know we've got this bin that you know is is outside your apartment or your home and half the time we're causing more issues by putting the wrong things in there but who's teaching us or where are we supposed to learn that yeah. and you know which article is correct on google and and how do we how do we cipher through all of all of the stuff that's floating around yeah no you're absolutely right it is very challenging i think the root cause of the confusion right like how it's different is that waste the way you know the waste management industry began is there's lots of different independent you know garbage companies right yeah. and they rolled up to create larger garbage companies but it would be like imagine if orange juice was like that. It'd be a lot of different companies making orange juice. They all sort of merged and created one big orange juice company. But in every city, the orange juice was different, right? It yeah. tasted different. It had different prices. It was in different packaging. It was fundamentally different. And that's why as you go from 
you know, even within a city, there may be multiple, you know, solutions, right? Uh, yeah. Because there may yeah. be different garbage companies that serve those different districts. And there is some confusion around like, you know, this recycling bin accepts this, that accepts that. Uh, and then is it really recycled once it's accepted as well, right? You know, there's exactly. a big difference between collection and then actual uh, 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 processing. Yeah, I think exactly. In this confusion, right? The, uh, the most important, you know, thing to think about is simplicity and feeding the waste stream what it wants, right? So uh, uh, what garbage companies generally want are things they can make money on, right? So the joke of it all is if you wanted to have 100% recycling rates, if every object was made from solid gold, you could litter it on the street and people would, you know, happily pick it up because it'd be so much value. And so what recyclers <laughs> want is things they can make money on, right? Simple uh, uh, objects are better than complicated objects. Big and easy yeah. to sort, you know, bottles are easier than like hotel amenities. Uh, um, and then especially the things in the end, uh, 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 you know, that are, uh, 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 that can make them money. So for example, if, if you wanted to really simplify that down, usually municipal recycling systems can handle clear soda bottles, uh, 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 HDPE, which is like laundry detergent containers, um, simple paper, uh, so mm. uncoated papers, like not coffee cups, but more like, you know, writing paper, newspaper, things of that sort. Uh, and then uh, various metals like aluminum cans, you know, things of that nature. And it's exactly. important to, to, you know, I mean, the best thing to do is not purchase. But if you are going to purchase, purchase those things that the recyclers want versus, um, you know, like local recyclers want then saying, well, why can't you recycle that particular object? You know, exactly. and then if that's not possible, then, you know, organizations like ours are out there, but they, you know, they uh, either have to be funded by brands and retailers or are funded uh, directly by consumers because it costs more, frankly, to collect and recycle okay. these things than the results right. are worth. Talk to me a little bit about Loop and the evolution of what that actually is. And, and hmm. also, I mean, in a really um, realistic sense, talk to us about the actual boxes and what you're doing with them and what you've achieved on a global level. Give us a little bit of um, excitement and inspiration of what you've actually achieved in the last two decades, because it's been yeah. insane. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we started our, our uh, TerraCycle's made up of really three major divisions, right? The first one is our collection and recycling division, which is really focused on, you know, collecting and recycling all sorts of different waste streams. Um, you know, again, these are funded by these different stakeholders we mentioned. Then our second uh, uh, focus is how do we help companies make their objects uh, or make their products from waste? Whether it's, uh, you know, like here's a bottle of fairy dish soap in, in Europe. This one happens to be made from ocean plastic. So we go out there and work with NGOs and collect plastic from the oceans, rivers, lakes, and beaches, or um, rock and roll festival waste, or aboriginal waste, or inner city waste, all these places that are not being cleaned up. And then we asked ourselves the question about, I think now maybe four years ago, is recycling you know, the be all and end all? And I say this as a recycling company, that we realize it's more of a, a solution to the symptom of waste, but not right. the root cause. Like you're managing waste, but you're not eliminating the very concept of it. Exactly. And that led to a journey of saying, well, what is the root cause of waste? And the answer we landed on is this idea of disposability or single use. Those are somewhat synonymous, you know, uh, but basically buying something and having a very short use for it. And so if, if, if that's the challenge, then perhaps reusability or, uh, you know, repair, cleaning, those sort of things are gonna be uh, the answer. And then as we thought about that, the question then began, well, why isn't reuse big when it used to be. I mean, up until the 1950s, we cobbled our shoes, we mended our clothes, we bought milk from the proverbial milkman and many other such, such derivatives. And what we found is that, well, first disposability brought about unparalleled affordability and convenience. 
And that is a massive, massive virtue. And I think we have to, while we can, you know, uh, uh, vilify disposability, rightly so, right, due to many of the issues that it has, I think it's also really, really important to honor the benefits, right, uh, uh, which is this idea of, this, of affordability and convenience, because that's what people, you know, want, and that's why it won. And so if you think about reuse today, there are three ways that we can experience reuse that is out there. Uh, one, that a lot of amazing, you know, companies have done, especially startups, uh, you know, and especially in the home care, like cleaning products and personal care products has been the idea, keep a bottle at home and then, you know, maybe get a concentrate or a, or a bulk and then fill it at home. And you keep that sort of durable container at home and you get maybe a little less disposable goods as you get those concentrates and so on. The second are refill stations. Some uh, retailers have done phenomenal jobs, you know, and some products are very conducive to refill stations, you know, whole bean coffee, cashews, you know, those sort of things. And then what we've noticed is the biggest reuse platforms in the world today are what you would call pre-fill, where the package is already filled, ready to go. It's the entire beverage industry of Germany, uh, the beer industry of Canada. It is, for example, propane tanks and beer kegs, though how many people think beer kegs and propane tanks are like super sustainable, but they are um, refilled and reused. But a challenge is you can't take the propane tank to the place you bought your beer, and you can't take the beer keg when it's empty <laughs> to the place you bought your propane tank. And that creates a fundamental challenge. So once we assess that issue, what we realize is, you know, one potential sort of benefit could be to create a platform, um, a platform where any brand can join and, uh, 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 and you can buy anywhere and return anywhere. Right. So, for example, in Loop, we've now had 175 consumer product companies join. Like this is, you know, Hagen Doss ice cream now in this like really cool reusable stainless steel container. Here is, you know, um, this is a laundry detergent. You know, this is also happens to be steel, but it could be glass. This is like hand soap and beautiful reusable glass containers. And these then become available at major retailers. You can, you know, buy whatever you want. All these, you know, different brands, even like here's your, you know, McDonald's coffee cup. This is in live in the UK and you can. Um, buy in retail array, um, you just you know, pay for the content, pay a little deposit on the pack, and then drop off in any participating retailer. And the goal in this is to try to make reuse feel as much like yeah. disposability, right? Still acting reusable, but feeling to the brands, the retailers, and especially the consumers that it's as convenient as, uh, as buying and throwing something away. And the more we can do that, I think the bigger we can make it. I think that's the point, isn't it, though? It's like, at, yes. at the end of the day, the, the actual core issue is consumer behavior. It's yeah. human psychology. It's habit change. It's the fact that in all honesty and all transparency, we're a lazy human race where, you know, we, we don't like to be challenged in our daily habits. We don't like to be challenged to step outside our you know, routines most of the time. There are so many incredible humans out there doing it every day and preaching it every day. But the reality is most people are comfortable and don't want to initiate change. So that is that is the solution. How do we make you feel like you're not doing anything that big, that dramatic, that different, yes. that difficult, yes. but actually you are. And it's going to cause an immense chain reaction of positivity and that's the goal right how do we collectively as brands as business owners as organizations come together and go let's make it really easy for them yes <laughs> let's, let's you know figure it out i think you're absolutely right and 
convenience, right, is, is really important, I think, to move, you know, the systems forward, but it's convenience, not just to the consumer, right? To the consumer, it's exactly what you described, but it's also convenience to all the stakeholders, you know, the, uh, the brands, uh, uh, the retailers, yeah. and the consumers. And so the more we can make it feel, um, uh, you know, like, uh, 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 like, like what it is they're doing today, um, I think absolutely, uh, uh, you know, the better. Absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. Um, can I take a moment? There's a lovely person who's commenting, asking about a, uh, a lawsuit we had. I'd be happy to just address it because I think uh, I can't see the username here. My, I'm very not used to Instagram Live, but capture <laughs> in the style. I'm more than happy to address your question. Let me do what I, uh, what I can and then feel free to type in any subsequent question. And we'll just take, if it's okay, a sidebar for a quick of moment. Of course, of course. Um, this is live. You can answer any questions that come up. Lovely, lovely. So just to uh, answer your question directly uh, to, uh, to the person who's commenting. Um, in 20 years across 21 countries, we've only ever been sued twice. Once about 15 years ago, back in the worm poop days, where miracle Grow, which is an American fertilizer company, uh, said that this you know, bottle, you know, a used soda bottle filled with worm poop, was a little confused and green. And uh, it was a trade dress suit. We settled that uh, uh, and it actually made us sort of quite famous uh, uh, in the end, but that was the first. And the second, we were recently uh, sued uh, in the US um, by a one person NB, uh, uh, NGO. It's actually quite a wonderful NGO. Um, it's too bad we had a conflict uh, called Last Beach Cleanup. And uh, that uh, suit uh, was just also recently settled, noting in, in the US that is usually how these things go is they usually uh, uh, get settled. And the outcome, I'm just gonna show you an example. Ah, here it is. If a brand has a recycling program with us and they claim something like that, you can sort of see here, it says, sorry, my, it's not focusing well, but it says <laughs> maybe okay. recycle through TerraCycle. If the program that that's representing is full, because we have to, you know, brands give us limited budgets and that restricts how big or small programs can yeah. be. If the program is full, uh, then underneath that message where it says uh, here again, I'll put it up so it's a little easier. Maybe there it's seeable. Underneath there, it would say check availability, you know, uh, program may be limited, something along those lines, right, which right. affects next to none of our programs. And that's the output. That's it. Uh, uh, and so um, thank you for your question. Happy to answer it, but that's effectively what has happened. And frankly, I think it's a good change. Um, you know, as we grow, you know, we learn and, uh, and uh, put in changes. It's disappointing. It had to go through a legal process. Um, they could have just contacted us and recommended the change, but that's the action they took. And we're more than happy that uh, that's been resolved and uh, we'll be putting that change into effect early next year. So to the folk person who asked, hopefully that answers your question. Um, and if you have a supplementary question, um, again, I'm not too used to Instagram, but I'm sort of seeing comments pop up. So happy to answer anything else. Thank you so much for answering that. I think um, it's it's such a funny topic, but I think you're right. I think people need to understand that doesn't matter what size organization you have, how long you've been around, we're learning and we're evolving every day and things change every single day, especially in these industries of sustainability and of, you know, human impact. Like people need to realize that we are people and we need to physically make those changes with you and it's an evolution and it's a process I, and yes. you know it takes time and and as long as you're open to it and you have the initiative and the passion i think you know people need to to remember that it's it's physical humans behind the brand and we're the ones actually implementing that change and you know it sounds like you're very open-minded and it's been a, we are a and i think yeah, to Bill, thank you, I really, for your kind comments. And I think the, uh, you know, the important part, look, there's no perfect answer. Um, I don't think recycling is perfect. I don't think uh, reuse is perfect. 
in fact, I think the only silver bullet in the idea of sustainability is the act of not purchasing. That's yeah. the only fundamental silver bullet. And in fact, I think it will be the key question of our time, which is, you know how like people always, like there's sort of this like idea that humans feel like they're more important than the animals and the plants and the rocks and everything. There's this sort of thing, you know, that we feel this greater, that we're somehow better, maybe we're more conscious or whatever. I personally don't, don't you know, believe too much of that. But if we are going to rise above, I think what we have to rise above is our appetite. Yeah. You know, like uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, most animals live in, in, in scarcity, right? They have to go around and work really hard to, cap, to get that chestnut, to, you know, find shelter, to survive. We've yeah. eliminated the idea of scarcity whatsoever, right? That's it's correct. so easy to feed ourselves, to buy things, to do all this stuff. And I think, can we supersede, can we transcend our appetite is going to be the key question because in today's level of appetite, it doesn't matter how, you know, recyclable, reusable, organic, eco-friendly it is. We're just consuming significantly, significantly too much stuff. Okay. And uh, I think that is, you know, every time we buy things, right, we are voting, you know, uh, for more energy to be used, more extraction, more everything. And all the things we're talking about is making those choices better because we can choose, you know, better choices than other choices. And we should do that. But we also have to think significantly about the idea of reducing our volume. I think it's so spot on. So like I've, I've been doing these sustainable speaker series now for, you know, almost all of COVID and the key message that keeps coming up, like the same conversation, the same topic that keeps being brought up is the concept of consumerism and voting with mm. your dollar. That's like number one. That's the thing that keeps coming up again and again and again. Yes. And then it's the concept of exactly like you said, the responsibility of the producer of the goods to make ethical choices, to make smarter choices. And there's almost no excuse anymore. Like we're yes. in a time where there's so much available options and available choices that if you're single-handedly actively choosing the wrong choice and the wrong materials to produce with, you are responsible solely for that. You can't yeah. blame anybody else because there's too much options. There's too many positive things available to us as manufacturers, as producers of goods to be making the wrong choices at this point. So it comes down to as a consumer vote with your dollar or, you know, learn the theory of minimalism and, you know, work on those habits of needing things for no reason. So working on yourself, and then there is the responsibility of the producers to actually make better, smarter choices and hold accountability for that. And it works both ways. It's like as a consumer, you can challenge your brands, your favorite brands, your favorite organizations. You can ask questions. You can be curious. You can connect. Because with technology, you have access to that now. You know. Yes. And then as the producer, it's our duty to evolve and educate ourselves and keep growing and keep learning. And that's... You know, that's that synergy where we actually have to come together and not, not be at war with each other, but support each other to make those better choices and hopefully, you know, solve the problems together. I think you're right. And I think just to build on your point, right, uh, you know, that you're saying is there's a tendency. I mean, I've been doing this for two decades where it's like, you know, oh, it's not me. It's this other group, right? It's yeah. a corporate maybe saying, oh, but the government should, you know, do something. Yeah. The government yeah. saying, oh, but, you know, it's retailers. Consumers saying, oh, it's not me. I'm just sheep to, you know, the whims of. And I think 
we are in an emergency, right? Um, we all are individual citizens. We can act as individual citizens. And the most powerful vote I think we cast is the, is the vote for what we buy and do not buy. Because we do that multiple times a day with cash. That's um, right. And it's a very serious vote that I think we many times don't um, take as seriously as we ought to, right? Um, but then we all, many of us work at an organization. Maybe we're in uh, government, maybe we're in, you know, uh, making or selling or something. And then we can also influence our organizations because consumers can only vote for things that are out there that can be voted on, right? So all this, it's everyone has to, I think, think about what are the right steps. Now, you also said something I think really important that I want to double click on, which is, you know, it's not an ideal world in the sense of, you know, we don't act in a benevolent way. Right. If you think about the organic food movement, it was created by really wonderful people, probably to serve the birds and the bees and the butterflies. Right. And create, you know, really strong, uh, uh, sustainable agriculture. But why do people buy organic food all over the world? It's only one reason because of their personal human health, which is perhaps the most selfish reason to buy it. Now, one could say, well, I wish people did it like, even in Luke. Right. Why do people I thought people would love Luke because it's reusable. I mean, that's why we created it. But when you ask people, why do they like this container? They first say, yes, it's reusable. More women than men care about that. And then they say, oh, the second is because it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. It's functional, blah, blah, blah. And then they say, um, oh, it's also, I think it's healthier for me because it's now in stainless steel or glass than say plastic. The second two are selfish reasons. Only the first is benevolent. And okay, you know, that's, uh, I wish we were better, but it's also important to, like, figure, you know, understand how the chess pieces and the chess board move, because if you understand that, you can at least wield it better and actually create more pragmatic solutions uh, 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 that can then take on versus just perhaps utopian, where they sound really good, but they don't go into practice. And I think this is a key part of the movement. And what we have to do is how do we keep moving forward and taking these steps yeah. um, uh, uh, so that we are moving forward? Uh, because there is no time, right? It is yeah. very, yeah. very urgent. I agree with you. And I think um, the premise of even my business, you know, we, we create these beautiful reusable bottles, coffee cups, and all of these gorgeous products. And yes, they are infinitely reusable. Yes, they are produced from materials that are sustainable and ethical. Uh, but when I was producing them and I was designing them, the thought is people need to love them despite yes. all the goodness that I need them to do and all the amazingness of the reusability people need to actually think they're functional or, you know, see that they're functional. People need to understand that they're beautiful, that they make them feel amazing, that they're aesthetic, that they're, you know, it has to tick those boxes. Otherwise we're not going to get there. We're not going to get to the solution we want, which is people actually reusing the products and actually enjoying the process. So it, like I said, it's that wonderful synergy of producer and consumer coming together and going, here are my needs. Can you meet them? And here are my needs. Can you meet them? And can we compromise? It's like a relationship, you know, it's a marriage and we have to communicate and we have to be there for each other. And yes. I think that's the way forward is um, consumers need to take a good hard look at themselves and think, do I really need this? And mm -hmm. producers need to take a good hard look at themselves and think, can I make this better? Can I be yeah. smarter? Can I be more yes. can, you know, sustainable? Can I produce this in a better way. And I think if we can continue to educate the masses on these conversations, hopefully we can start to see that change evolve in a bigger way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
Um, I'm going to, if I may, take another, uh, I'm just again looking at comments and sorry, I'm very yeah, new to it. Instagram Live. There is a wonderful question from a user. I may get your username wrong, but it looks like reducer, su su sorry, if I, the question is, um, I purchased two of your boxes, but then saw that you've been accused of greenwashing. How do you respond? So I'd be happy to. And again, if you have a supplemental question, please uh, feel free to add it in. I think, you know, where, where, where we may get criticized, right? And I think it's fair uh, criticism is that, um, but I also think it's somewhat misguided. So I think, you know, organizations uh, who have no legal responsibility to their waste, which is really unfortunate, right? People who produce and, and producers should be legally responsible for the objects they produce and make sure that they can come back and, uh, 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 you know, and, and, and have a, a next life, whether, you know, it's reusable, like the products that you make, whether it's uh, recyclable, if it's more disposable, but there isn't that anywhere in the world today. And so um, many of these objects are not recyclable uh, simply because uh, they cost more, as we already talked about, to collect and process and the results are worth. So what we say to a producer is, look, if you fund a recycling program through us, you know, uh, we can then make a free solution for consumers out there to be able to send in and recycle your uh, material. Now, here is where the rub comes, right? A brand or a company is only ever going to allocate a certain amount of money. Now, sometimes they allocate millions, sometimes, you know, tens of thousands, but they're never going to say here's infinite money, right? Yeah. That would never happen. So they say, here is a budget. And uh, so what we do with that budget is we look at how much that is, and then that allows for the program to be a certain size. Yeah. And the way that these programs are sized is how many recycling points can be enabled, how many stores can collect, or how many community centers, so on and so forth. And once that size is hit, that is you know, how big the programs can become. And then if you want to uh, use that program, you would join a waiting list or uh, uh, this is, you know, in reality, there's usually many other programs that we have that collect the same material, but that particular brand's uh, uh, program may be, uh, may be full. And so our job, right, is to try to, you know, convince the brands to try to make these programs uh, as absolutely big as possible, uh, to commit more funding to them. Uh, that happens, you know, people care about them and want to use them. Um, but then, you know, where we may get criticized as well, you know, what if the program, you know, can't accept me? And, uh, you know, we're, we're, that, that's a, a fair challenge, you know, uh, uh, but not in our hands, hands to fundamentally control. And the more we can tell companies that this matters, the more that, you know, uh, that they see that, you know, people care about it, then typically the more funding comes and the funding has been growing, but not in an infinite uh, capacity. And I think I this is the important part. You know, now the last thing to say is that Finally, companies are voluntarily, even if it's a small amount of money, voluntarily taking responsibility that they never were doing before. And it starts the financial flow. And typically, yeah. what do companies then start thinking about? How do I, uh, 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 and thank you, by the way, reduce, reuse, Susie. Sorry, I couldn't uh, get that. My, 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 my apologies. Thanks for clarifying. Is, um, then they start thinking about how do I design my products to be locally recyclable? All these things. And we've seen many companies who start TerraCycle recycling programs and then figure out how to design locally. And then we wind down our program because consumers can use local solutions. So it's a bit more nuanced, but that's, uh, that's sometimes where, you know, people push back per se. Do you know what I want to add to that though? Like yes. just to, just for a, a little bit of that, again, it's, it's all about human behavior and the psychology of how these things operate. It's like people forget that, for this to work, like for this to physically happen, for these organizations to have recycling programs, for you to recycle new materials, requires research and development. Research and development isn't a, um, 
like an invisible thing. It's humans, it's people, it's money, it's jobs, it's actual action. And that takes time, that takes brain power, that takes science, that takes research and energy and effort. And that requires you to hire people and people to be available. It, it takes human power. So when people come in and criticize the organization for not doing enough, for not doing it fast enough, for not being big enough, it's like, well, why don't you get off your ass and go join in and help? You know? It's fair. I, and, and look, <laughs> I think criticism is important because it's the only way we learn and grow, right? Sure. You know, I, I sure. always advise, you know, I, I advise a lot of entrepreneurs and, you know, I always have said that the best advice is the, is the toughest advice. Yeah. Because... If you get a, you know, like a slap on the back and people are like, how awesome are you? This is great. Well done. Brilliant. It, it feels great to the ego, but You'll you never, never learn anything. Right. And if instead, you know, someone rips apart your idea and says, here's all the challenges and all the things, then it's hard to hear. You sort of want to tell themselves to like, screw off, you know, like, I don't <laughs> want to hear this negative feedback. But then if you really honor it, you yeah. can develop and grow the, the most right. from it. Like I, I have this tendency, if an entrepreneur, you know, comes and asks me about their idea, if I don't really want to engage, I'm going to compliment. <laughs> right. And if I want to engage, I'll sit down and try to rip it apart for an hour. Uh, but it's way harder for me to do that. And it's also hard to listen to, but it's actually value. Right. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And I think that's part of it. I wholeheartedly agree. I think feedback and transparency and authenticity in that essence is vital to growth. But at the same time, I, I just wanted to touch on that point of like, yes, you can be a critic, but if you're not in the arena, <laughs> joining in being part of the solution you don't get to complain about it that's what yeah, that's absolutely. all i want to say and, yeah, and i totally just agree. think yeah and i think it's criticism and feedback is vital like you said but join in hold you know yeah. get in there get excited be as passionate as you sound and go and help and support but um yeah and i do really by the way to the folks out there really appreciate you know the tough questions but it's the same thing like that's why i'm trying to pick the ones that are a bit more yeah. challenging you know to respond to than anything that's a bit uh, more complimentary so thank you for that i think this has been such an insightful conversation and tom i could keep you for hours and i could ask you so many questions and if you ever do want to catch up outside of this and criticize the brand please go for it <laughs> but we, we do have to we do have to part ways now as um, the morning is, is starting here in Sydney, mm -hmm. but it's such an honor to, to talk to you and to connect and to share a little bit of the TerraCycle journey. But I will save this as an IGTV. Anyone who wants to come back and watch it or we'll link to the TerraCycle website so you can learn a little bit more. I know you've got some amazing articles on there as well. So thank you so much, Tom. It's such an honor and such an inspiration for everything you and the, the brand is doing. Well, thank you. It's been a real pleasure uh, to chat with you. Thank you everyone for attending uh, and look forward to next time our paths may cross. I can't wait. Thank you so much. Have a beautiful thank afternoon you. where you are. Thank you so much. Bye. <laughs>